0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic
1: that makes you look or feel good with long-form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hello again, Ruan. How are you? I got you. You're just about to take a glass of water. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's only been about Hi. 60
0: episodes since the last one we did, which is yeah. kind of incredible, really.
1: Yeah. So we did two episodes with you last year. Yep. And we uh, sort of did a bit of introduction into, I guess, how legals and this industry work together. Yep. So, we spoke spoke about how people protect themselves, um, if they have an issue with, you know, a result they weren't happy with, how they sort of deal with it, try and avoid issues going to court and litigation. And then also we spoke about the other side of that coin, which is as a medical professional or someone providing these services, how do you protect yourself? you know when things go wrong how can you avoid issues happening in the fir- in the first place and we kind of touched on advertising a little bit but that, you know, when we spoke to you about having that conversation, you were saying, look, there's some new guidelines coming out soon. Maybe yeah. let's hold up and have a more detailed discussion once they'd come out and you'd had a chance to digest them so we can talk about it because it's such a big part of our industry, isn't it, Jake? I mean, in terms of people wanting to promote their services, what they do, their results, and there's so many rules and regulations about what you can and you can't do. It's a bit of a minefield for injectors.
0: It really is. And you see it quite badly done online, <laughs> and um, and then that the problem with that is then other people go oh so and so is doing it I'm going to do it and then it's almost like this Chinese whispers of bad medical legal practice.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I would I would urge anyone not to be using what other businesses are doing as the guide for how to advertise. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's like when you get pulled up by the cops and you say. Well, the guy in front of me was also speeding. Yeah. <laughs> they <Yeah>. caught you. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean. So yes, it's sort of yes. like the, the blind leading the blind a little bit. Yep. yep. Um, so in terms of what we're talking about with advertising, we're talking about things like how people promote their their services on their website, um, promotions in terms of say discounting or trying to drive traffic through through their through yep. their clinics, um, and social media is the big one as well, where yep. you see a lot of stuff. Sort of as Jake sort of alluded to, not done very well. Slightly dodgy, before and after photos, different lighting.
2: Yes. Use of yep. certain
1: terminologies and also protected um name or protected what's that called? Protected class or protected, protected titles. Protected titles. Yes. 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 And
0: yes. use of testimonials. Yes. Yep. All that kind of juicy yes. stuff that Rowan's yeah. going to tell us about. Yeah. Yes. Maybe first just remind people what your background is, Rowan, because it's been a while since yep, we last spoke sure. to you.
2: Yep. So I am a lawyer. Um, I've been working in health and medical law for almost 20 years now. Um, and my role is at Avant, uh, which is a medical defence organisation. So we ensure individual medical practitioners and also practices. And part of my role is providing advice day-to-day through our medico-legal advisory service, which is a service that people, members and practices can call and get advice about anything medico-legal that might occur to them. And also, uh, I also work in our advocacy and education team, so providing education and um, information to our members and practices about anything, again, that might affect their day-to-day practice. So, this is a perfect example of where there's a change or revision in guidelines that affect their practice. It's something that we review and and then go out to our members and and inform them about. And we were also involved in providing consultation to ARPRA in the drafts when they were looking at revising the legislation.
0: Brilliant. And for people who are listening abroad, we're regulated by you just said ARPRA. Who are they? Yes and yes. what do so, they do?
2: Yeah so ARPRA is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation agency. Um, and they are the body responsible for all registered health practitioners. Uh, so I think that now includes about 15 different categories, but most relevantly for uh, your audience, that would be medical practitioners and nurses. Yeah. Um, and um, and then when we're talking about advertising they also have oversight over anyone, not necessarily a registered medical practitioner or a health practitioner, anyone advertising a health service.
0: And I was, I was watching a video on my way here. I don't know how I came across it on YouTube and it was interesting. And I know David's got a bit of a bugbear with this <laughs> and, and I do to a certain extent, but it was interesting that someone said, you have to remember that ARPA represent the public's uh, safety, sort of, uh, you know, they're, they're the, the protector of the, the public. They're not there to sort of jump down on doctors. It, yep. it, it's, a, it's an arbitrary point, but it's an important point. It is an important Because I think point. a lot of people feel like, you know, they're like the kind of the the spy agency out to get you. Yep. And it's not really like that at all
2: yeah it is an important point and and in all of their um in all of APRA's own publications and also in their compliance and enforcement activity that is absolutely made clear and it's made clear in then these revised guidelines as well that APRA's role in in um overseeing advertising is to protect the public from harm. So in this case, it's protecting them from misinformation or information that might be misleading um, and that could lead consumers to make poor health healthcare decisions or incorrect healthcare decisions. So very much it's protecting the public. And- and it's not, yes, sometimes the result of that is there may be sanctions brought against someone that is advertising a health service, but it is not designed to be, yeah, an iron fist. It's yeah. a it's a compliance measure.
1: And what's, I mean, maybe let's start at the beginning in terms of what is actually a medical procedure? Where, where does the line get drawn? Because you can go to a dentist and get veneers, you can go to a chiro and they can manipulate your spine. Yep. you can go down to your local laser clinic and get your face melted off with it with a chemical peel or a laser <laughs> so you can do a lot of damage to people right with these procedures that i that they're able to advertise quite quite freely so yeah
2: pretty much all the things that you just mentioned are also health services yes. and also regulated by right. Um, the national law. Yep. So when we talk about the national law, we're talking about the health practitioner mm-hmm. regulation national law, which is consistent yep. largely, but certainly in relation to advertising across all states and territories. Yep. Um, and the most important thing to remember when we're talking about advertising is whilst yes, APRA have released guidelines, um, there is a provision section 133 of the national law that says what you cannot do when you are advertising a health service. Mm-hmm. So health service is the relevant term right. and And that's basically anything that is usually provided by a registered health practitioner or is a, is a, you know, a health service. So dentists are also registered health practitioners. Um, One of the other things that's covered under there is masseurs. Um, So, you know, that's probably a good example of something that you might think they can just go and do anything, but know that it's also considered a health service and that's defined in the national law. And in addition to the in addition to the to the national law, it's also important to remember that all businesses in Australia are subject to the Australian Consumer yep. Law. So no one can advertise in a misleading or deceptive way or a way that's likely to mislead or deceive. Um, so, you know, those protections are there. And those requirements are there over every service that is advertising. And then in addition to that, if you're advertising a health service, there's just some more clarity around what that means when we're talking about health services or health practitioners advertising their services.
0: And then what is deemed an advert? Obviously, you know, uh, something published on paper would to be an advert and something on your website. Are there any other kind of unusual nuances?
2: Um, Not really unusual nuances, but the, the revised guidelines do include a really good definition of advertising, but it's basically anything that is verbal, in print or electronic that is a published communication. And then the new definition at the back of the guidelines then lists everything that that might relate to. So we're talking business card and letterhead, Um, So probably in a, in a more current world, you might be thinking of that in the concept of say your email signature as Mm -hmm. well. Um, So anything standard like that down to actual advertisements that you're putting on social media, your website and any information you put on that. Um, So that might be a practitioner's own website, might be the practices website um, and then any social media that you control. So if you've got an Instagram page, Facebook anything snapchat
0: you you mentioned something that i want to clarify you said anything verbal that's then published
2: Uh, so verbal might be like this, we are talking,
0: (laughs) (laughs) um,
2: a radio ad. Um, so yes, so published. So what is excluded is for example, the information that you might directly give a client or a patient during a consultation. Um, and I think that's really important to remember because advertising is what you do to the public in it. And it's not, you haven't, um, specified or or tailored your information to the particular person yes. that's listening it to it. So that brings us back to what we were talking about before in terms of the agency's role in protecting the public. So if you're advertising Anyone and everyone can hear that and so it needs to be of the most appropriate standard in that context. Mm-hmm. But once someone's heard it and come to your clinic and said, oh, I heard your advertisement and I'm really interested in X procedure, that's when you can give them tailored information
0: yeah.
2: about that procedure, what's involved,
0: product, the price. sorts of
2: product, price, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. yeah.
1: When, did, when did we actually start regulating these services or start – you know putting restrictions on advertising because this industry is relatively new um and I don't know we spoke about other services other services that are that are covered under these guidelines as well and what are we what are we trying to protect people from
2: um, effectively we're trying to protect people from so i suppose there's a few ways that you can look at that so there are five prohibitions listed in the national law um and and the general way of looking at that is looking at that from the way the the concept is formed in terms of protecting the public from making decisions that may actually jeopardize or undermine their health mm-hmm. in any way so we're protecting them from having misinformation and making a poor choice um, when you look at that from the Australian Medical Association's point of view they have also just uh, a couple of weeks ago updated their position statement about advertising so that only applies to to doctors um, but one of the things that they called out in their position statement was what they called pathologising normal human conditions. So things like baldness, for example. So what they're saying is we don't want the public to get the impression that something that is a normal part of human ageing is something that they have to fix or correct by undertaking a procedure or, or undergoing services. So they can but it just needs to be in a, in a context of this is not something that you have to prevent or have to deal with. This is not a medical condition or a medical problem. This is something that you may look into. So that's particularly relevant when we're talking about aesthetic medicine, which is all
0: Yeah, I was going to say elective. that's a really slippery slope argument, I think, <laughs> because someone who does go bored would definitely say to you, this isn't cool, I wasn't like this a week ago, it's alopecia driven by stress or whatever, and this is a medical problem.
2: And that's where the breadth of human experience is relevant. And that's the sort of thing that you can address in a consultation. Yeah. yeah once you've explained to people but what they don't want is people feeling, is the public feeling pressured into like they have to do something. So, again, one of the prohibitions is about uh, not encouraging the unnecessary or indiscriminate use of services. Mm. So, particularly things, and that ties into the prohibition about gifts and inducements as well. So, one of the things they might be conscious of is, you know, injectables fine if you would like to get some injectables that's fine but but anything that might say encourage someone to have a certain number of treatments or feel or any advertising that tells them that they have to have x number of treatments um to be able to actually address a particular situation now there's an effectiveness argument there but not like oh if the more times you use it each time you come to our clinic we will enter you into a draw the example in the guidelines enter you in a draw to win a luxury car yeah so the more time you go the more times you go you stand to benefit from getting another entry into this draw but actually do you need to go once a week versus once every month mm. or whatever the case might be.
1: Yeah. It's it's weird, you know, because you, you think about the fact that we've got all these regulations in place to protect people, but then I'll turn on the TV and see an ad to Dan Murphy's to go and buy, you know, 10 bottles of vodka and get one for free or something. You know what I mean? And we know that alcohol in excessive amounts is not good for you. People drink and drive, they get all sorts of diseases. It's, I know it's not a perfect system, but it's just weird when you think about, you know, how, how strict they are on these types of things, but then you know, advertising things that can be just as detrimental to your health, on the other hand.
2: I suppose that comes down to a lot about perspective because yeah. there is you know there's the Australian consumer law and yeah. there's lots of regulation about advertising mm-hmm. um, you know certain certain products so I think in any industry where you're the subject of the guidelines and I I like to think about it as a bit of a hierarchy so when we're talking about health services we've got a legal provision um, and that legal provision comes with penalties and then there's in the national law there are also other provisions and you were talking before about protected titles there are other provisions about again how you you can use certain titles, um, specialist titles, etc. And again, by breaching those, that, that those come with penalties. And again, that's about protecting the public. So if someone is advertising themselves as having particular qualifications, yep. they have to have them to be able to do it. And then the guidelines then really are a way of enabling practitioners and practices to understand how to comply with those. And that's one really positive thing in the new guidelines is it's, it's laid out in a way that you can follow. It's supplemented by some additional resources on the website from ARPRA in terms of actually looking at your advertising and asking relevant questions to try and work out that you're compliant.
0: I was going to ask, can you give some examples of where you don't have to give names, obviously, but where someone has called themselves something that wasn't appropriate. I'm trying to think of something.
2: Um, So probably the, probably the best example and the most general one is the use of the word specializing in Mm -hmm. or specialist. So the concept of specialists is a protected title and they're a list of recognized specialties for medicine. And then in terms of other uh, health practitioners, there's also categories in terms of, Say for nurses, for example, um, so you can't put in your advertising that you have say six nurses working at your practice if you don't in fact have six nurses if they <laughs> are doing the role yeah. of nurses but they don't hold that qualification. Yes. Um, one of the other um, one of the other examples might be if you um, say there was a general practitioner who uh, had decided to move into doing. A lot of cosmetic treatments, and were advertising themselves as a specialist cosmetic practitioner. Mm-hmm. That implies that there is a category of specialist cosmetic practitioner, which you there is see not.
0: That a lot, actually. Yeah, I've you know, got to say, and,
2: and, and that is not the case. Yes, and there is no, there is no, that is not a recognised specialty. And that's exactly the sort of thing that ARPA are concerned about. Because as a consumer going to that clinic, you have been given the impression that that person has a qualification Mm. that they don't have the, the way to do that. And, and as made clear in the guidelines is, is general practitioner is a recognized specialty. So you can certainly say um, specialist general practitioner, um, but then explain that by saying who worked primarily in the area of cosmetic injectables, for Mm -hmm. example. So you're still providing information to the public about, your focus of practice but you're not holding yourself out to be something that you're not
0: so is there a category as a job a cosmetic injector
2: that is not a recognized specialty but it's also not something that you can't say as such so depending on what other qualifications that person had yeah um would guide how you were best to use that as a title in your Mm -hmm. advertising
1: one of the um or well, i guess part of the restrictions of advertising your services is talking about drug names and particular products and things like that and i think we sort of touched on this in the last conversation and i know you you don't make the law so this is more like just a question and observation and guess for your comment as well is i understand that you don't want to be overly promoting a product and you know the restrictions around scheduled medications but potentially some risk in terms of people not looking looking at a result looking at a before and after that's compliant and not knowing what was used to achieve that. And then you sort of have a lot of misinformation with people making assumptions, not really knowing what product was used to achieve that. I mean, what do you, do you think that could be potentially causing some confusion as well?
2: I think that probably comes back to what we were saying before about distinguishing the information you put in your advertising to the information you give directly to a patient or yeah. a client. So, The restrictions in terms of the use of certain names is under the Therapeutic Goods Administration and their relevant legislation. And again, the idea is um, motivated from a sort of a public interest point of view and protecting the public. So if you're going to use before and after images in advertising and portray that this is the result from an injectable. Yes, you can't use the particular name of that product, but again, you're using those before and after pictures, let's say on a website to induce someone to get them into your door. And then at that point in time, you might be providing specific advice to that patient about if this is the outcome that you're looking for, these are the different sorts of um products that we could use and these are the differences between them mm. um, and that's when you would um you would provide that information the other thing probably to point out in that context as well is that there is a distinction between information provided to the public so that might be for example uh information about um w- what the options are um, and that is not designed to induce someone to use a health service um, or, to, to, or not being used to promote your services. Um, and it might be that you direct people to the primary source, so the drug companies, for example, to get some information. Um, but in your advertising, yes, you can't use the names of those drugs.
0: When does <clears throat> using social media, because it's probably the most obvious example, wh- when is that an advert and when is that just social media? Or is it always an advert of, of some description?
2: Uh, so sometimes it might be hard to work out if you are using it to promote your services. But under the definition, if it is if it is if if you are advertising a health service, so if it is this, the page for a particular clinic, yeah. it's likely to be considered advertising. Okay. And I suppose it would be different. It would be, you know, dependent on the circumstances as to why you might be able to argue something wasn't advertising. Um, and then if that was something that you were trying to do, it would be worth that clinic, you know, getting some specific advice or considering how they were trying to get around the promotion side of things.
0: Yeah. Okay. And going back to the before and afters, that's like a, a classic because, mm. you know, that, yeah. whether you like it or not, I guess is an advert of your work. And, and if someone looks at it and likes it, they're they're going to be drawn in and potentially engage your services. So, you don't have to be exhaustive, but what things should people be doing to make sure that they're showing consistency and and trying their best? You know, no one no one's a trained photographer, no one has the best equipment available. But what yeah. what could people yeah. do?
2: Yeah. So the photographs and use of images in uh, in advertising is one of the things that has sort of been drawn out in the new version of the of our press guidelines, and it's about basically making. Making an effort to show a prop to to show two images that are actually comparable. So using the same sort of lighting, the same sort of um, makeup, clothing, the same sort of setting, the same sort of angles. So if you are portraying these as comparative that they are actually put in a setting where you can compare them. So, you know, different lighting, different backgrounds, um, one using a lot of makeup and enhancement, one not, um, different sort of clothing where say, for example, clothing in the second photo might be masking something that you're actually trying to say that the procedure performed. Those are the sorts of things. And there is a list of some, you know, some different sort of guiding principles in the in the guidelines to, mm. um, to help practitioners.
1: Something that, um, made that a lot easier now is all this amazing software that you can download on your phone to to edit a photo. So to the untrained eye or someone like a regulator looking at a photo might look at it and go, well, yeah, the lighting's the same and, but that's been enhanced. And that's something that's becoming an issue as well as our technology is getting so good that sometimes that you can't really tell whether that photo has been edited or not.
2: I would, strongly encourage no one to use altered photos <laughs> as part of them before and yeah, after happens, advertising. Though.
0: I mean, it sounds so obvious when you say it, you know, yes. out loud, but it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like, you know, you are manipulating a result to look better and you know that you're doing that and that's lying. That's, that's yeah. cheating, right? And that,
2: and that's exactly the sort of thing that not only would, would potentially be covered, say, under um encouraging indiscriminate use of services, but also that would be absolutely if you are manipulating photos, that is misleading and deceptive yes. or likely to be so. So there's very much, you know, things like dating a photo, the the whole idea of anything that you put in your advertising, it is supposed to be accurate mm. and it is, you know, and factual. So if we're talking about images you know, a, a picture captures something, and if you're modifying that to portray something that couldn't be captured in that photo, then that would be a concern.
1: I know that in Australia we, we're pretty. We've got a lot more regulation than other parts of the world, but we live in this global community now, where someone could be looking at an injectors work over in somewhere in Europe or whatever, and. Patients are looking at their photos going, wow, that's an amazing before and after, but they're not subject to the same regulations as what we are. So you sort of create some further confusion where there probably would be pressure. I don't know, Jack, maybe you can speak to this in terms of being an injector in a country where you are held to a high degree of regulation and what you can do. And then you're trying to put photos up. someone else is not having to you know have that same restriction on them do you you feel any pressure there Um, or not
0: i I don't feel pressure but you definitely see it but i just think um just falls back to having your own ethics and and showcasing your own results like if you're proud of a result that you've achieved in australia or wherever you are you shouldn't have to feel like you need to make that even better or brighter or you know use facetune to make it a little bit better (laughs) i mean it's it sounds so silly but it's true like your results should should speak for themselves and um you know, I think as injectors and, and cosmetic people get more experienced, they could they know they, they know yeah. that these things have been changed mm. or altered. Yeah. Or even just using a different lens to, to warp the face slightly. Yeah, there's so many little I mean, even you and I we were talking
1: about someone that we both know overseas and we were looking at their photo going, they've used different light. Like it's so obvious. Yeah. And this person you know holds themselves out to be an, an industry leader and,
0: and all these sorts of things. And you're just looking at it going, what on earth is going on here? But unfortunately and probably comes back to Arpra's position the public don't know that they're not the experts we're the experts or we, we, we pretend to be or we try to be but um the public kind of don't know that and and you even see injectors they get duped into saying wow what incredible result and you go well it's just not comparable you you just can't comment because it's not the same photo. Mm. So yeah, I, I actually got a big bugbear with the photos and I, I agree with the stance completely.
2: And and I think if I think it's important to remember that, you know, medical practitioners, health practitioners and those providing health services, the public enters into a relationship of trust uh with practitioners and practices and the best thing to do is to do the right thing by that relationship and as you say you know hold yourself up to to an ethical standard and what the law and the guidelines do is reinforce that that is the standard you are expected to meet and you know, absolutely don't be persuaded by the advertising, certainly not of overseas competitors that aren't, um, you know, aren't bound by the same regulations, but also not, you know, the other clinic down the road that might be pushing things just beyond the line or, you know, or testing the line, you know, don't be guided by that. Be guided by your own, um, you know, proper procedures in making sure your advertising is compliant.
0: I've never understood why people do it. I mean, you know, if, if you're going to say that, I know the photo you're talking about is the Andy Murray's mum one, wasn't it? <laughs> Where her skin just looks, you know, yeah. so much better. And you kind of think if a patient came in and, and had the expectation that you could deliver that and you didn't, you're just going to get multiple complaints and unhappy yeah. people, and it's not good for your business. And that goes
2: back to what we talked about last time in terms of managing patient expectations. Yeah. You know, that's the first thing that you want to do. You don't want to start by, even before they walk in your door, setting an unrealistic expectation about what their outcome or result could be. Yeah. And then having to wind back to say, oh, no, actually, that's an altered photo and that's not realistic and no product or no procedure will be able to achieve that.
1: Yeah. I do wonder if some part of the problem is people just don't know how to take photos properly. And, you know, there's a lack of education. I mean, we did a a, um, episode with uh, Woodrow Wilson who owns a business called, uh, is it clinical imaging? Yeah. Um, And I think that photographs are done so badly on the whole in terms of just using the proper equipment, using consistent distances, consistent lighting. It's a lot of it could just be, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And then, they're, not getting the re- like they're looking at a result and going, God, that's not being translated into what I'm seeing on the camera lens. Maybe, and then maybe they start employing things to try and enhance it, to try and give a realistic outcome. But it's more because they just don't understand how to do photography well. See,
0: that's definitely true. But, you know, like you said, standing in the same place each time and having the same light on is not difficult. Yes. Even if it's not a great photo, it's consistently not good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so I think it's a bit of an excuse to say, sorry, I'm not an expert, but I'm going to put out crap. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think if you want to, there's nothing that prevents anyone from using professionals as part of their advertising. So if a practice or practitioner makes a decision that they want to advertise and they want to use before and after photos in their advertising, then you're absolutely right, Jake. There is no defense to say, oh yeah, no, I'm really bad at taking photos. So that's not what I was trying to portray. If that's the case and you don't feel that they're accurate, then don't include them in your advertising. If you want to include photos, maybe consider employing someone yeah. who is a professional photographer, who's skilled at doing that, and so you are putting up accurate information in those images.
0: I think I should drive people to episode 90. Yeah. It's really, really
1: useful. Yeah, well, again, just on that point, you know, one of the things we learned was that you say like the camera on your phone like warps the face because it's trying to fit everything in. So you might inadvertently take one photo with an iPad, and then you take something with like, you know, a Samsung Galaxy phone or something, different lens, and you're going to end up with two different images. So that's something as well. Whatever equipment you're using, make sure it's consistent. Mm-hmm. And it
0: will, it will also auto-brighten and yeah. there's so many other functions. It's, uh, I mean, it's not really a camera. It's a phone kind that of has a toy a camera. camera almost. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And, it's, you know, and I think that's when, you know, there is lots of useful things. There are lots of useful things about today's technology. But if you're using that to capture your advertising that you're putting out into the public domain, then I think you need to work out, is that actually the right equipment? Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes with anything on a website or a social media page. You know, there is a requirement to make sure that it is accurate and up to date and not misleading and not deceptive and that it complies with all the other aspects of the law.
0: One other uh, sort of point I wanted to make um, that maybe you could expand on is that some people don't manage their own websites or or their social media sort of, you know, farmed out to an agency – but it's still the responsibility of the clinic or the injector, right?
2: Yes. Yes. The easy answer to that question is yes. (laughs) So again, you can employ a professional photographer, you can employ a marketing person, you can employ a social media manager, but it is your practice. It is your website. It is, you know, your name that's on that advertising and you are responsible for ensuring that it's compliant. Um, So whether that's using someone who's familiar with, even if the company says, yes, we're familiar with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency's laws and their guidelines, and we have complied with them, I, it's worth double checking that before it goes, either gets posted or gets published.
1: Yeah, right. One thing I wanted to ask you was, how do the regulators find out about all these non-compliances? Because they're literally like millions of posts going up every day, whether it be Instagram stories or just regular posts. How do they where how are they sort of monitoring all of this?
2: Yep. So, occasionally they will run particular compliance activities um, over certain um, sectors of the, of, of you know, different health services, but generally speaking, it's a complaints-based model. Right. So, someone will make a complaint to the agency and they will then review that complaint. If there's enough information in the complaint, they go straight to review. If they need some more information, they might contact the person that's complained to try and get some more information. And then once they review it, if in the course of the review they decide that there are some concerns in relation to compliance, the first approach, if it's something low to moderate risk, the first approach is to write to the practitioner or a practice to say, your advertising is not compliant and we give you – it's usually about 30 days to correct your advertising. And then once it's corrected, then that's usually, that's often the end of the matter. Um, repeat offences or failure to correct might then lead to further action. And in the extreme cases, there is – the national law does include a penalty provision, which for individuals is $5,000 per breach and for corporations is $10,000 per breach. Wow. So – it will depend on the circumstances to what each individual breach might be.
0: This is a bit anecdotal, but I'm pretty sure that the complaint system is geared towards competitors dobbing in on you. Know, <laughs> you it's think? It's not. Well, I can't imagine. Maybe I'm wrong because you do this every day, Rand. That a, a patient is upset that someone said an S four drug name in a hashtag, or whatever.
2: Things like that are probably more, so again, that's a breach of the the Therapeutic Goods Administration's legislation, but things like that where it's maybe a bit more technical may well come from other practitioners and practices and competitors and, and anecdotally we do hear that a lot of complaints are Uh, maybe you know sourced from competitors um in a patient situation it might be uh that they see advertising maybe have gone for a first consultation and felt that the advertising wasn't accurate um but we also do generally know that consumers are becoming more educated and more aware of their rights um in consumer law, generally, um, but also as health consumers, um, so there are still complaints that are generated from um, consumers or patients. Right. Um, but yeah, but there, if it, particularly if a practitioner or a practice is is interested and quite um, quite sort of uh, you know wants to pursue their own advertising, they may well be looking at what competitors are doing.
0: Would Opera ever step in? If let's just say there was a, a competitor literally doing their own audit on hundreds, thousands of accounts and, and you know dobbing them all in, is that appropriate use of the complaint system as well?
2: I suppose it would depend on the circumstances. Uh, I think if Opera were receiving complaints about a number of different practices all from one source uh, and that source was also a registered medical practitioner <laughs> or was also advertising a registered health service, that might be something that they would look into. Yeah, um, I mean, their role is to ensure compliance. Um, equally, there are people, you know, as you were saying before that when you see competitors not doing the right thing and potentially posing that risk to the public and their choices, that, that does concern them. And that might be, it might be, you know, a a good motivation behind making a complaint about another practice or practitioner.
1: So, um, I'm going to make the assumption that most people listening to this are practitioners that are providing these services. I'm sure consumers are listening to this as well, but for the most part, I think this episode will resonate mostly with people that are are undertaking these services or performing these services rather. And I'm also going to assume that most people have got a relatively good idea about what they should and shouldn't do. They probably don't know it as in-depth as you do, but just in a snapshot, what are the major updates to the guidelines that have come through? And you said they came out in December.
2: Yeah, December last year. Yeah. So the first thing to be aware of is that the the section of the national law hasn't changed um, and that's the starting position for what you can and can't do with advertising. So the five things that are prohibited under that section, which is section 133 of the national law, are that you can't advertise in a way that's false or misleading or likely to be so, you can't offer a discount or Uh, inducement or service without stating the terms and conditions of that offer. You can't use a testimonial where it's about a clinical aspect of care and you can't create an unreasonable expectation of beneficial treatment and you can't directly or indirectly encourage the unnecessary use of services. So that's the starting position. What the guidelines do is explain and help practitioners and practices understand What those five things mean Mm. so in the new guidelines for example if we're talking about testimonials there's a there's a new definition of what a clinical aspect is right and so if you are wanting to have testimonials about how fantastic certain aspects of your practice are how convenient it is that's okay. But as long as it's not about a clinical aspect of care. So it's effectively what the new guidelines have done is clarify some things. Um, The other thing, particularly in the context when we're talking about something like social media advertising, in terms of the gifts and discounts, there's a little bit more information about if you can't display all the terms and conditions of the offer in the actual advertisement, so let's talk about a social media post, there's some explanation about how you can actually do that so that you still comply with the national law and have followed the guidelines.
0: There's, maybe I've got this wrong, I was always led to believe that you can't induce people through an offer to have a cosmetic procedure, full stop.
2: So there's separate guidelines about cosmetic procedures generally yeah. um, that apply to all um, that apply to all cosmetic procedures, and 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 there is a guidelines in there that range from how you get payment, how you perform the service, and those sorts of things. Okay. So that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and there's definitions of what a cosmetic procedure is, but in terms of advertising. An injectable with a discounted rate, for example, in a poster in your front window or on social media, that is not uh, prohibited as long as you comply with the national law.
1: Interesting. Okay. Right. So you can start doing your win a date with Jake now again. <laughs> he ran this idea past me about six months ago and I said, oh, I mean, I know it's tempting. I mean, I'd undergo I'd a treatment to win a date with Jake. do listen to him. <laughs> so
2: there there it is that's not a bad example to also consider whether or not your advertising might breach other aspects of your professional <laughs> yeah. obligations So when we're talking about ARPRA's marriage contract. <laughs> yeah. when we're talking about press guidelines, yeah. we're also talking about you know every single health practitioner also has a code of conduct that their board has put in. so the medical board, the nursing and Midwifery board, for example, both have codes of conduct which cover things like boundaries with patients and those sorts of things. So it is sometimes possible that in the course of reviewing, it might be triggered by an advertising complaint. In the course of reviewing that complaint and looking at the advertising, APRA might be otherwise concerned that there are some professional conduct issues in relation to that advertising.
0: Going back to what you said about uh, testimonials. So just to clarify, someone can't say, um, you know, Dr. Smith is an awesome injector. He does the best lips, (laughs) but they can say, oh, the online booking system is awesome and it's a beautiful clinic. Correct. Okay.
2: And someone can say all those lovely things about Dr. Smith on a third-party review site. You shouldn't encourage your patients to leave that third-party review or somehow induce them to do it. Yeah. Um, But a third-party review site that you have no control over is – a positive review is entirely acceptable but you should not link to that on your website um, or in any of your other advertising um, and you shouldn't have that on your own advertising so if you can control it no testimonials about clinical care are prohibited
1: what about someone that put up their own photos and then they tag you and then you re? i mean like first of all if they tag you, you can't control that right but what if you like reshare it
2: so, yep, so you can't control them retagging, you can control resharing. So right. retweeting and sharing other things that someone else has posted, that's then you you are then promoting that. That is part of your promotion and part of your advertising. Mm-hmm. So that is that would be prohibited if it fell into any of the five categories.
1: Right. Gotcha. Okay, and what else? What else are we talking about in terms of updated?
2: So some of the other changes. So we talked before about the additional guidance mm-hmm. about the photos and use of images, um, and then there's also just some really good examples in terms of some of the some of the ways that you can advertise. There's also an expanded section touching on what we were talking about before about the the specialist titles and protected titles. Mm-hmm. So you know if you're calling your practice specialist anything that's again not a good idea but look at and and also the way that practitioners or practices might describe the practice and their staff um for example in their profiles that would be captured by some of those practice um the the protected titles issues
0: how do you recommend someone does an an audit of of their own website and and social media and kind of does a bit of a cleanup
2: um so absolutely call uh,
0: call you (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so
2: certainly, um, any of our members, any event member or a practice that has insurance with event, uh, can certainly call and get advice. Um, the important thing to remember is that as a practitioner or practice, you are responsible for your own advertising. So it is a good idea to do a regular audit or review, particularly if, uh, something, you know, if you say are quite active in, so on social media, um, you, you know, yes patients can tag you and and mm-hmm. do things if you have someone else managing that for you it is important that they are aware and, and staying within the guidelines so if you haven't read the new guidelines the starting position would be go back and read the guidelines the guidelines contain an appendix that has the national law section in it so that's yep. a good place to start and there is actually a self-assessment tool on ARPRA's website as well as part of their advertising hub the advertising resources so go through and ask yourself the questions have a look at the Advertising, and it's it's a really good idea to do a regular audit. Mm. Yeah, um, and then obviously also consider the prohibitions and the guidelines before you put anything out there.
1: Yeah, and I guess as well, you've got companies now that are popping up that specialize in this industry. Mm. So, like a friend of um of Vows, Jake, um, you know, Drew Hankin from the Azuri grew up up. Azuri group up in Queensland, Mm -hmm. he specializes in this industry. So those guys are on top of all the regulations, understand what you can and can't do. So that would probably make it easier for you as well if you're working with an agency that's already involved in the industry that's across all this stuff because most people now are outsourcing this. It's becoming social media is like a full-time job. I mean, I barely keep up with it myself, to be really honest with you. So I can't imagine how people running a practice and taking all the before and after photos would keep up with it, so I mean, Jake's a bit of an anomaly because he's not human. But I mean, most <laughs> most people most people are outsourcing it. So yep. maybe going to someone that's across this make your life a whole lot easier, and you know, potentially avoid you getting in trouble.
2: Sure, and it's just important then to remember that it's still your yeah, name still or your practice's name, so you're yeah. still responsible. So as much as you can in- engage services and and they say, yes, we are across the, the law and the guidelines and we have complied with them, I'd still be suggesting oh, that yeah. you check everything before it gets posted or published.
0: I think um, a good default position would be I want to sleep at night, mm-hmm. I want to keep my registration, Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get complaints from ARPA and, you know, <laughs> risk all these kind of scary things. Just do it properly. Yeah. Be, yeah. Be, be a little bit... Um, well not even conservative but just never push the boundaries yeah. yeah you know why you see it all the time people oh. sort of trying to sneak in a little hashtag to you know somehow get some engagement the or yeah. yeah well it's also it's you know it's just like
1: be conservative and even responding even if you've you know, you're slightly on the edge or you get a complaint, like it's still like a massive irritation, stressful getting the letter. Then you need to talk to
0: your insurer. Then you've got to like formulate a response. I mean, it's, it's a stressful process. Yeah. Time consuming. And you know, you don't sleep for a month and you <laughs> kind of think, oh my God, it's $5,000 per um, contravention, like you said.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, so certainly if you're unsure, seek advice before publish any publishing anything. If you're Unsure, and you think you're close to the line. Well, the fact that you think you're close to the line probably means you should pull back a little bit. Yeah. Um, it is important to remember, though, that the the advertising prohibitions are there to protect the public, but advertising as a way of communicating accurate and reliable health information is still absolutely encouraged. Uh, and it's a really good way when that information is accurate of maybe, you know, dispelling some of the myths that might be put out there by less, um, sort of, you know, honest and ethical advertising. Um, so it's not about feeling like you can't advertise at all. It's about doing it properly. And if you're going to spend the time actually creating that advertising, do it properly, and then you can absolutely avoid the stress and the time of dealing with a complaint.
1: Yeah. I guess in summary, the new guidelines, do you think that they've made it easier for people to sort of navigate? Because I remember looking at them a little while ago and thinking, you know, you could probably interpret that in a couple of different ways depending on how you sort of how you look at it. Do you think it's made it easier for people now to sort of do things compl- in a compliant way? I,
2: I think it has in the sense of the the way the guidelines are, are laid out. Some of the clarified definitions really help. And then when you look at those in conjunction with the other resources on ARPRA's website and the increasing awareness of the fact that there are laws and guidelines that govern this space, I think it is a benefit. It's made it easier for practices, practices and practitioners, but it's also made it a, a better space for consumers who who are taking this advertising in so I think there you know there's some really good resources out there and and it's worth using them to your advantage.
0: One of the things I think you mentioned earlier was that you know not only a sort of practitioners having to follow the ARPA guidelines but also their own national board guidelines so let's say you're a surgeon you'd, you you know you'd sort of follow the the doctor's guidelines if you're a nurse it's nursing guidelines and so on Where do things sit? where, say, a plastic surgeon does, I don't know, live surgery, where technically it's an advertisement, it's put out on social media, uh, and, you know, some surgeons have been criticised for treating it a bit frivolously, whereas others would say, no, it's super educational and and done in layman's terms so people actually understand. This is where I think it kind of is super grey, and I'm not entirely sure what is deemed professional and what is not professional, and what is allowed.
2: So... As lawyers, one of our favourite favorite expressions is it depends because <laughs> that situation really would depend on the circumstances. Um, if we're talking about a plastic surgeon, so they are a registered medical practitioner, so the national law and the ARPRA guidelines apply. In addition, yes, their code of conduct will apply. So the code of conduct covers all sorts of different things about like all your code of conduct for good medical practice in Australia is yep. what it's called. So there are things about advertising. There are also things about patient care Um, boundaries, cultural safety and awareness, you know, a a broad medical records, a very broad spectrum. So if we're talking about something like a a live procedure, we'd be looking at what sort of platform that was published on, what sort of information was put around it, um, obviously issues about who the patient was, their consent to that. And then as that might be that might then be relevant to advertising but it also might be relevant to broader professional conduct issues and yes all of it might be entirely compliant with all of those and the issue would be what's the context that any agency or board is looking at that is it in the context of responding to a complaint is it a patient issue that's arisen is it seeking advice before doing it to know what they can and can't do
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah so what would be I don't know if you saw those books that came out sort of 10 years ago, Idiot's Guide to Everything, you know, and (laughs) I consider myself an idiot, so this is a question more so for me. Um, What would be the Idiot's Guide to safe advertising?
2: I would absolutely say the first place to start would be ARPA's website and the self-assessment tool because it actually has questions to ask yourself as you're Mm -hmm. going through. And I think it really depends on what stage in the process. You know, an established clinic who's maybe – not advertised much before but he's thinking about getting into the space that's a very different place to start than someone that's been advertising, but oblivious to the fact that there are laws and guidelines in both those situations. I think you start with the body that is regulating what you're doing and that's ARPRA and really use those resources to your advantage. And as I say, there are actually, you know, questions, yes, no answers to go through in the self-assessment tool. So that I think is a really good resource. And then if you're still unsure or you're questioning something, or you're not quite sure how to play something out or you are concerned about something else that you've seen and wondering if that's okay because that's what you want to do, then speak to your professional organisation, um, your indemnity insurer, if you're indemnified um, and or, you know, get some separate legal advice in terms of what you can and can't do.
0: Let's end on kind of worst case scenario and you get an email today saying, <laughs> "Opera." Warning signs you've been complained against. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What, What what's the process, and and what should people do?
2: Yeah. So that process won't will be a letter just saying we've received a complaint. We have reviewed your advertising, and we consider that you haven't complied with the national law. And it will usually set out. Which aspect of the which aspect of the act or which part of this the provision that you've breached or they consider that you breach, and then they will give you a period of time to correct your advertising. So the wise thing in that situation would then be to look at the advertising that they've um, pulled pulled you up about and review it and correct it. Mm. If you had a difference of opinion about, why that was not a breach um, or why you thought that was not a breach then that's the point in time if you were a member of us we would be you know stepping in and giving you some advice about either why you may be misunderstanding it or actually yes good point and let's you know talk to opera and those sorts of things and that would depend on you know whether or not you're insured but that's the sort of thing that you'd be contacting your defense organization about Um, if you look at that and you think oh actually that was slipped through the cracks and I didn't check what my social media manager was posting and, yeah, look, I agree that that is a breach, then take it down yeah. or correct it to ensure that it's compliant and the letter will usually then guide you what you need to do. It might be writing back and say, yep, I've now complied it. They will check that you have Um corrected it and then um and then that should actually be the end of the matter they close their file yeah um if you don't correct it then they will come back to you and look at whether or not any further action needs to be taken um and that's when we're talking about most of these complaints will fall in what opera have described as the low to moderate um sort of risk sphere if it's particularly risky and the high or they're really concerned about the risk to the public, they may go straight to enforcement action. And so, that's actually pursuing the, the practice or the practitioner, the advertiser under the, the criminal offence provisions.
0: What would be a serious offence versus low grade?
2: Uh, look, I mean, it really depends and it would, it would go against the risk to the public um, as the guide. But, you know, a, an ad that had a, a, a testimonial in it um, on a practice's website, well, that's easy to take down and that's quite low. If it was particularly, if it was say promoting a, uh, a treatment that had actually been proven to pose serious health risks, that might be taken more seriously.
1: Yeah. Or multiple things happening. So, yeah. you know, an inducement, a non-accurate before and after something that's been doctored. So, yeah, maybe if you've sort of, you know, got the complete collection of things you shouldn't do, maybe that would be considered more and, more severe.
2: And it might depend also on how that's come to APRA's attention yeah. as well. So, and if there was no, um, if there had been instances of previous yeah. breaches or yeah. non-compliance, that would be of concern as well.
1: Yeah. Gosh, even um, discussions that we think are going to be relatively brief because this was just meant to be an update. We've almost been speaking for an hour. Just uh, just time time flies. Thank you so much for coming in and giving us this update. We really appreciate it. Before we wrap up, is any sort of, you know, a little bit of advice or last bit of advice that you want to let our listeners know about?
2: Just to encourage everyone to remember that there are laws about advertising. It is a legal provision. So start there, have a look at the guidelines, ensure that your advertising does comply. And when doing that, really look at it from the perspective of the public and the consumer that you are trying to reach Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, abide by those those ethical requirements as well as the legal provisions.
0: 100%. Now remind us, how do people join up for Avant or speak to yourself uh, if they don't have, you know, medical legal representation?
2: So any of our members or practices can call and get advice on 1800 128 268. Anyone who wanted to become a member or was looking at uh, joining could call the same number and get some advice from member services about joining.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having your me. third episode. You're, you're up in the uh, Hall of Fame now, yeah. I'm a veteran. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks Enjoy. Thanks, man. Thanks, bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week
1: before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions, or guest requests.